Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. We have two pastors here on staff who love to poke fun at each other because that's who we are and that's what we do. We love each other a bunch, and I am Pastor Derek. I am the executive pastor here, and uh, I'm just excited to be here with you this morning. Um, a lot of times as pastors, we uh, feel like God's speaking something to us, and so throughout the week, you know, uh, God's been putting a message in our heart. Maybe it's the, the past month, and inevitably, after we preach a message on Sunday, God gives us the opportunity to live it out the following week, to practice what we preach, if you will, uh, just like all of you. And uh, this week, I got the privilege, and we're going to call it a privilege because I don't have another word for it, to practice what I preach on the front end of things, okay? So I want you to know this morning, what I'm talking about is something that I got to experience firsthand. And there was two contributing beings that gave me these life lessons. They were my pastors this week, if you will. And the first one one is going to be on the screen uh, is my son Ellis, okay? This is my son Ellis. He is two years old and he is every bit of two that you can possibly imagine. He goes zero to a hundred and does not stop from the moment his eyes open to the moment his eyes close. He loves dinosaurs. This is Tops, which is his Triceratops because he can't obviously say Triceratops, so I hear the word Tops all over the place. And the second pass the second being that has taught me about my faith this week is this guy, okay? This is Oakley. He is my six-month-old golden retriever. And uh, from the moment I got him at eight weeks old, we've been working together to be my hunting dog. He has um, been an adventure to train. Let me tell you what, he's a great dog. He's awesome. But let me tell you, if you're debating getting a pet at some point, it's harder than kids, okay? It is harder than having a kid. And I didn't know that. My wife batted her pretty little eyes and said, can we get a dog? And I was like, I don't know. And then she started to blink faster and more intently. And so I gave in. And uh, it's been an adventure. And there's been a lot of good moments. There's been a lot of moments. Okay? So these two beings this week got to teach me all about my life because here's the reality. Um, living with these two creatures, there is never a dull moment. And all the parents in the room said, Amen. This Thursday, I had some chores to do around the house. So I got home, set my stuff away, and I, I had a few chores, really minor chores. It took, we're going to take about five minutes. So my wife was busy doing something. So I decided to put my son down in the basement with his toys, which is fine. And about two minutes into my chore, I heard the Lego box get dumped upside down. And I thought, hmm, he's playing with his Legos. I was gone for five minutes after I had just cleaned up the toys so my wife could come home from work and, and you know, have a nice clean basement. So I set him in his freshly clean basement. And five minutes later, I walked in to this, Okay. Some of you are kind of like, you should see my kid's room, right? But the reality is, this was five minutes. And each of these toys has their own little spot. So this buses and his cars came out of that one bin in the corner that's tipped upside down. You can't see all the wooden blocks behind the couch that he tipped upside down. It looks like a, like a, a, a archaeological boneyard with all the dinosaurs we got down there. And so I'm thinking, you know what? I did what any reasonable parent would do. I walked in 
turned around and walked right back out because I knew we had reached a point of no return. There was no coming back from this. So I went to finish the last chore I had, which was to scoop the cat's litter because, yes, we started a zoo in our house, apparently. I scooped the cat's litter. I came back in, and my six-month-old house-trained dog had decided that, you know what? I don't like the smell on the carpets from the other dogs from three years ago from the former owners. i got to make sure that my parents know this is my house. So I'm going to lay a big old softball-sized pea spot right in the middle of the carpet. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. I needed some more sermon material, so thank you. So you know what? We got through the week. Life was good. Yesterday, we go to my mom's house in St. Cloud. She, Oakley's playing with my mom's dog. Life is good. I'm relaxing, and I finally I just relaxed. I'm like, okay, Ellis is content. Dog's content. Life is good. And then it got really quiet, and the dog was nowhere to be seen. And I'm like, what is happening now? So sure enough, I walk into my dog feasting on half of the chocolate cake off the counter that was remaining. (laughs) And so the fun part was ripping his jaw open, sticking my two fingers into his esophagus, pulling out the frosting, and then waiting for the next 12 hours to see what was going to happen. So if my aunt is watching, he loved your cake, I hate your cake now. So thank you. The reality is, 2020, if I were to sum it up, was like my Thursday and my Saturday. Just when you think you're out of the woods, life is good, there's this one thing that happens, it's like, bam, another thing happens. And then you, you're, you're, you're getting, you're like, you know what, yeah, pandemic, major life events, history in the making, what could possibly happen next? Never ask that question, please. <laughs> Especially this year, because we are writing history every year. Like, our kids are going to learn about 2020, they're going to go like, you guys live through that? I love you more now. Good job, okay? 2020 is a massive mess right now, but I am convinced, jokes aside, that 2020 is a classroom God is using for us right now. I'm not going to get into a debate of whether I think God caused all this or this is God's wrath and he's trying to punish us all like the flood way back then. I don't have time for that argument because I don't know. What I do know is that God's using our present year, our present circumstances, to radically teach us a valuable lesson. And that lesson is that we can make our plans, we can make our stuff, but the reality is there is so much in our lives that is out of control. And not just out of control, chaos, like our life is. I mean literally out of our control. We all have plans. We make plans for today. We make plans for tomorrow. We make plans for this upcoming week, this upcoming year. We have our five-year plans, our 10-year plans, our 20-year plans, our 30-year plans. We have all of these awesome plans which are really good. I'm a huge planner. I love to plan. I like to know where we're going what we're doing. But the thing is, as we work towards our plans, as we strategize, as we have all this stuff, we get so built and custom to the plan that when the plan doesn't go as planned, we're all out of whack. Right? Like, I have this plan. This is what I'm doing today. I'm going to go home. I'm going to rake the leaves. I'm going to shovel the snow because joke's on you, 2020. We don't have any leaves because it's covered in snow. Okay? We have all these plans in our life, and then when the unexpected happens, we're ticked off because we can't get our plans accomplished. And the problem is, it's out of our control anyway. 
We can't dictate what happens in our life. When the unexpected happens, like a global pandemic, like a presidential election that divides friends, neighbors, and families, like when you have division and hostility between race, gender, religion, when you have a tragic loss or an injury that takes you out of work or completely changes your life, all of this stuff happens and our plans get shifted. And we're left going, what are we going to do now? It completely goofs us up. And 2020 has become this giant ball of unforeseen, unprecedented, unbelievable circumstances. And you would think that we could plan for this, that we could brace for this, that somehow we could have seen this coming, and the reality is we couldn't have. That's exactly the point. We could not have seen any of this coming. And what's been the response? That's ultimately the answer. The question we got asked is, what's our response been? For some, it's been a great response. The world is in shambles. A pandemic hits us all. And so you would think that humanity would come together. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and we'd come together as it's meant to be, that we would love each other and care for each other. But I think, and maybe it's just me, but I've seen a lot of the opposite response happening. A lot of the, you know what, there's going to be more division. There's going to be more hatred. There's going to be more hostility. There's going to be more mental destruction. Because when the moment of crisis happens, we find out what's really in the inside. When you squeeze a sponge, you find out what's going on inside. And I think a lot of us have become so accustomed to our plans, so accustomed to our control, that when we don't have it, we lose our minds. Life is no longer in our control. We no longer hold the steering wheel to our own life. We don't have the ability to walk out the plans that we had for 2020. We don't have the opportunity or the ability to walk out the door when we want, where we want, where what we want, mask or no mask. We no longer have the ability to talk and have constructive criticism face-to-face. We have to put our opinions in blogs and forums and on Facebook. We don't get to call the shots of our life anymore. And some of us say, you know what, I'm going to call them anyway, and that's great. But the reality is, we are no longer in control, and it drives us mad. It drives us absolutely crazy. It brings out a side of us that we didn't even know existed. And you don't realize how much you desire control of your life until you don't have any left. You don't realize the security and the stability of our lives until we no longer get to call our own shots. And a lot of us say, you know what, I don't, I'm not out of control and I'm fine with that and that's awesome. But for 99 of us that don't lie, we like control. Okay? When I was going to speak today, I planned to speak on anxiety. I've been planning to speak on anxiety for the last month or so. It's something I struggle with a, a, bar, a large part of my life. I'm a youth pastor and so I've seen the mental health crisis go up significantly in years to come since I was even in that age. And it's something that I wanted to talk to because God was speaking to anxiety. But the problem is, over the last few weeks, God's really been dropping on my idea, this idea of control. And so I'm going, you know what, God? How am I supposed to talk about anxiety? How am I supposed to talk about control? Like, how is this going to work? And finally, one night after my dog was having explosive diarrhea, um, I had this, this thought... Thank you. It's, it's nice for people to laugh in church, okay? Because I've got lots of jokes in here, and when nobody laughs, it makes me feel insecure, and then I stink preaching, okay? So thank you for laughing at my jokes. My wife doesn't, so it's good to have somebody laugh at them. <laughs> I kid you not, I was walking into my garage, 
And I literally felt like God was saying to me, they're interchangeable. They're intertwined. And so I started to look into it. Like I said, anxiety is something I've struggled with a good part of my life. I've been on medication for depression and anxiety throughout my life. And I realized that anxiety, depression, mental health, all at the biochemical levels deal with the absence of control. Look at the definition of anxiety, okay? It's defined by the dictionary as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Now, if you look at the psychiatry definition of it, it says that anxiety is a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension. I'm going to put on my science nerd hat for a second because I went to uh, NDSU for a while. I studied chemistry. I love science and I love all of this brain stuff. So I'm going to get nerdy with you for a second. And the reality is sometimes we think that science and faith are mutually exclusive. You can't talk about science and talk about faith because science disproves faith. And I would say the exact opposite. Science proves exactly what we're talking about. So when you look at the science side of anxiety, you have all different kinds. You have social anxiety, which is a fear or worry of a social or performance related event. Some people when they walk into a room literally get social anxiety because it's so overwhelming the amount of people that are around them, the new uneasiness of who they are, what they're thinking about them and they literally get, it's a characteristic characterized anxiety attack from being in a social situation. You have anxiety phobias, fear of spiders, fear of heights, fear of blood where the moment you see it, boom, your body reacts. You have panic attacks, you have severe anxiety, you have all of this different type of stuff. And so at a neurobiological level, and I'm for that's big words for in your brain, that's where anxiety starts. Your perception of the world, what your eyes take in and then relay back to your brain is where anxiety starts. Because your brain sees something, and the emotional side of your brain, which is called the limbic cortex, it kicks into overdrive. Because your limbic cortex says, you know what? My eyes just saw something that makes me uneasy. And so your emotions start to freak out, and so you're starting to go, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? How is this going to happen? So then your physical brain kicks in and increases your, your heart rate. It increases your breathing. It makes you feel like your chest is constricting because your emotional side of your brain is kicking in your physical side of the brain, which is where anxiety attacks come out of. Now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm nothing of the sort. I'm not even trying to minimize the role of anxiety because anxiety is legitimate, it's real, and it's a real thing for a lot of people. But what I am here to say is I see all of this stuff happening at a microscopic level, a molecular level, and I want you to catch something. We see things and things are happening before us. And then our brain sees it, interprets it emotionally, and then your body kicks in. So down to a microscopic molecular level, there are things happening that you don't even have control of. You're not making the conscious decision to say, you know what, brain, kick into overdrive because I'm having an anxiety attack. It does it on its own. So down to the molecular level of who we are, our body takes control of our lives. The reason we worry, the reason we're on edge, the reason we get freaked out is not even always that stuff's happening to us. Did you notice in those definitions that the root of anxiety is saturated in the what if? It's an uneasiness of something that's imminent. It's not here yet, it's imminent, it's coming. It's an apprehension of something that could happen. 
people who are scared of heights aren't scared of heights because they're falling to their death. They're scared that they might fall to their death. It's the what if that makes us all really scared. And it's not even always things like that. It's what if I lose my job? What if my kids get hurt? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, and all of a sudden we're 10 miles on a road that's not even here yet. That might not even ever come. And why? Because we're out of control. We don't get to control what happens to our life sometimes. And the problem is we try to control the uncontrollable and it drives us so crazy we can't even think. We tr- it, it all is rooted in it. We try to control everything, even the stuff that cannot be controlled. Which creates more anxiety, more stress, more frustration, all for a burden that we were never meant to bear. Controlling our own lives was never how it was intended to be. If you're in this place today and you feel like your life is out of control, if you feel like you came into church having been just beat around by this week, whether it's stuff that happened to you, stuff that's coming up this week, and you're coming into this place and you are just feeling out of control and exhausted. If you're coming into this place and you feel like you have really no real grasp on your life, like, you know what, how am I even going to make it through today? How am I going to make it through tomorrow? If you came into this place feeling worried about your kids, your jobs, your pets, if you came into this place with any worry, any apprehension, at all. I have some encouragement for you today. So open up to me with the have your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. But in Mark chapter 4, it says, That day when evening came, he, he being Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, it's important to know that they're on this one side of the lake, and they're trying to go to the other side. Jesus says, Get into the boat. We're going to go over to the other side. They jump in. Here comes a storm. Now, they wake him up, and in verse 39 it says, He got up, he again being Jesus, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now the setting where this is taking place is the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is essentially a lake, okay? I, well, when I visited Israel here three summers ago, I actually got to go and swim in the Sea of Galilee. It's fresh water. It's not salty. The only difference between that lake and the lake that we see around here is that they had killer vipers. And so they said, hey, you guys can go swimming down there, but just make sure when you're walking through the weeds to watch out for vipers. Just like it's no big deal, okay? And so I had to get over my fear of snakes to do this, but it was amazing. But when you look at the Sea of Galilee, it's actually not very big at all. It's hardly a sea. If you look at the acreage of the Sea of Galilee, it's one-third the size of Lake Mille Lacs, okay? So we're not talking about a big sea, a big lake. We are. It's one-third the size of Mille Lacs. But the problem is this lake is situated in a valley. And in the valley, it's surrounded by these mountains and hills. So it creates this big bowl, essentially. And so you have this wind and, and the stuff that comes over the hills with no rhyme or reason, out of nowhere, and it starts to swirl. And so when we were in Israel, they talked about how 
when you look at the meteorology of all of this stuff in the Sea of Galilee, out of nowhere it can come literally within one hour it can be completely still and awesome. The other hour you can be having these storms. But they said what's crazy, and here's what blew my mind, they said the wind starts to swirl so much that you can get up to 10 foot um, ten foot swells in this lake. Okay. Now, if you're like me, you're like, man, that seems pretty big. I had to show you just how big 10 foot swells are. Okay. You'll notice up here, these little green pieces of paper, this would be a 10 foot swell. Okay. Now, that's a big wave. If you're sitting on the beach at Cocoa Beach, Florida, like, yeah, that, that, you'd surf that. You'd be like, you know what? That's crazy. But when you're in the middle of a lake, that's terrifying to anybody. Now, to make it worse for you fishermen out there, we're not talking about a deep Malax boat. We're not talking about a charter fish. We're not even talking about your bass boat. I'm going to show you a picture of what a boat in the first century would have looked like that Jesus and his disciples were in. I think I have a picture of that. This metal frame is just for, you know, holding it and preserving it, but this is actually wood dated back to that time period. So we're talking literal planks of wood slapped together with clay. So all of you brave people in here, I'm here to tell you, that's terrifying. I understand why the disciples were freaking out, okay? If a wave's coming at me this big, and you're in something like this, popsicle sticks glued together, that's terrifying. That's absolutely terrifying, okay? And so, to make matters worse, it's also important to remember that the disciples were primarily fishermen. They were familiar with the severity of what was before them. They were aware that, you know what, when the waves are coming, we got to get the heck off the lake because the waves are coming big time. They were aware of what these waves could do because they probably witnessed it, if they're seasoned fishermen, what it was like to watch one of these boats come crashing. They were probably aware what it was like to have all this stuff happening before them. And here they are, instead of preventing it, instead of not being out there, they are smack dab in the middle of a huge storm, at the mercy of the storm, nothing they can do about it. And, oh yeah, by the way, Jesus is passed out in the back. They're freaking out. They're losing their minds. They're like, you know what? We are literally going to die right here, right now. There is no coming out of this. There's no way we can get out of this. And they look back. The main guy that got them into the boat in the first place, Jesus, this was your idea. What are you doing about it? He's passed out in the back. Okay? I can imagine the emotion that they're going through in this moment. I can imagine how scared they are. They have seen this happen before. They are aware that they're going to die. Which probably, inevitably, you know what? I'd be a little sad. If I'm out in the middle of a lake and I know I'm not going back to my family and I'm going to die, that would make me a little bummed out too. I hope it would make you a little bummed out as well. But I can also imagine the rage. The outrage. The furious feeling they have. Jesus, this was your fault. You told us to get in this stupid boat. You told us to cross this dumb lake. We could have stayed the night, had some s'mores, and been fine and come across the next day. But, oh yeah, let's go in the middle of the night and cross this huge lake. Because why? Who knows why? Let's just follow whatever you say, Jesus. Awesome. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? He's passed out. And I can imagine that only made them even more furious, right? And their emotions bubble over. If you go back and look at the text, it says, they yell at him as they're shaking him probably, Don't you care if we drown? And you'd be doing the same thing. 
I know I would. So the story goes, Jesus stands up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. says, quiet, be still. And these ten foot rollers die. There's not a lick of wind. Psalm skiers dream out there. It's glass. Nothing. Out of nowhere. Just as quick as it came, just as much as it left. And the disciples were like, what in the world is going on? We've never seen this before. And I want us to understand that sometimes when we're knowledgeable, when we live through a life experience, we start to understand how things should go. And so we start to behave and think as they should go. And so when things don't go as they should go, it completely messes us up. The disciples had known so much that they knew that they were dead. They wrote it off. There, there was no coming back from them. They didn't even think about the fact that they were coming back because that was their experience. That was their knowledge. But they forgot that the person in the back of the boat, Jesus, was the same Jesus that had done miracles in front of their eyes more times than they can count. The same Jesus that was passed out in the back of the boat was the same Jesus that took two loaves and five fish and made it enough food to feed 15,000 people. The same Jesus in the back of the boat was the same Jesus that was able to walk on water before. The same Jesus in the back of the boat was the same Jesus that could spit on some dirt, rub it on a guy's eyes, and make a blind man see. He was the same Jesus that could make a paralyzed guy come back to life. He was the same guy that could raise Lazarus who was dead and come him back to life. He was the same Jesus who did all of that. But in that moment... They didn't see that. They saw what they experienced before. They forgot that this Jesus was capable of doing all that, but the severity, the gravity of what they were experiencing with these waves before them completely drowned out the fact that Jesus was for them, that Jesus was behind them, that Jesus was with them, and the same God that did it over there is the same God that could do it for them. But they forgot that. Because they thought they were in control. Because they were fishermen. They knew how to get out of a storm. They knew when to get out of a storm. But you know what? This time they weren't. They thought they were in control and they had forgotten that it was Jesus who asked them to get in the boat in the first place. They forgot this wasn't their choice. That Jesus asked them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And the th- biggest thing they forgot? They forgot that they said they would follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. They forgot that they said, you know what, Jesus, I will follow you through thick and thin. They forgot. And the thing of it is, is I love that Jesus didn't sit there and be like, I tried to trick you suckers and you failed the test. I think some of us actually have that mindset. That when we fail, when we mess up, God's saying, they messed up again. I want us to understand something that the reason Jesus, I believe, sent them through the storm. Jesus knows everything. He knew the storm was coming. He asked him to get in the boat anyway. Why would he do that? He had to teach them the hard way that he was for them. Because there was going to come a day when Jesus would be hung on a cross, crucified, and killed. And one day raised again. That wasn't the end of the line. He one day had to entrust his disciples to lead the church. He had to trust his disciples to take the message of his life, his resurrection, of his salvation, and take it to the ends of the earth. 
And if they weren't 100% convinced, 100% sure that God was going to take care of them, they'd chicken out every time. And so God took this major life event, He took this huge, crazy thing that was out of their control, and He used it for something powerful. If you're looking to be in control of your life, of your destiny, of your fate, of what's going to happen to you today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next year, that's your choice. But ultimately, just understand that when you make that choice, you're committing to being responsible for the emotions that come with it. You're chaining yourself to the perception of the 10-foot rollers that are coming over your boat. All the while forgetting who's in the back of it. It's easy to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders when your nickel-tight budget gets hit with an unforeseen medical bill, when your car breaks down, when you're trying to figure out, I don't even know how I'm going to eat tonight. It's easy to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's easy to feel the weight of your shoulders when your beloved relative or your spouse or your kid gets very ill or very gravely ill and they might even pass away. It's easy to feel the weight of, your, the, weight of the world on your shoulders when they don't have the opportunity to live anymore. It's hard to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders when your kids who you spent years raising start to grow up and start to make decisions. Some decisions that you love, some decisions that you really hate. It's easy to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders when your marriage is in shambles and you're trying to figure out how you're going to make it through without your kids knowing. It's hard to feel the weight of the world when the future of your job becomes unnoticed. It's easy to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders at any given point in your life. I think we are all disillusioned to think that, you know what, once we get to this point, then we have no more worries, then we have no more fears, we have no more whatever. You know, when we, when we accomplish this, when we get here, when my kid does this, when I meet this person, we have all these parameters that we put on. When we get to this point, life gets so easy, and so, and then I can control it again, and life is good. But at 25 years of age, I have far less life than a lot of you guys have lived. But in my understanding and my experience, I've found that just when you get to that point, there's a whole new set of worries waiting for you. And so I've found out that to find control of your life, you must be willing to surrender. To find the control that you are so desperately letting go, or trying to find, you just have to let go of you must be willing to surrender surrender the control of your life, not just to anything and saying, you know what, it is what it is. I'm asking you to choose who you are going to put your trust and your control in, and I'm urging you to put it in the hands of Jesus. He's already in control. You realize that, right? He's the one who brought us into the world. He's the one who said, it. the Bible says he knit us together in our mother's womb. It says here in Psalm 139, verse 15, that all the days ordained for me were already written in your book before one of them came to be. Jesus knows who we are. Jesus knows what's going to happen to us ten years from now. He already knows. He's already in control. So instead of getting into a tug-of-war match with him for control of our life, what if we just let go and just trusted that he's going to take care of us, that he is for us, and that the same God in the back of the boat that did all of this crazy stuff in the Bible that pastors love to talk about, oh yeah, it's the same God that's in our life now. Working, moving, doing. We find freedom when we surrender. Because the very thing we're scared to do is the thing that will give us the most peace. Letting go. 
control gives us this idea of peace, security, and fulfillment, but things don't always go our way. But when we choose to put Him in control, we can find those things regardless of what our situation looks like. Four weeks ago, I had what I would believe, it was undiagnosed, but a clinical anxiety attack. I was in my bed at night. I had a lot of stuff going through my brain all day long. My wife was asleep. My kid was asleep. I had to put my dog in the kennel. And as I was laying in bed, um, my brain just started to race. As a youth pastor, I take the weight of what my kids go through very seriously and very personally. Uh, some things that uh, are out of their control that are happening to them just break my heart. The, the loss and all the stuff that they've been through is insane. There are also moments when uh, kids that I've seen when they were this tall, who are now significantly taller than I am, they're growing up, you know, they're starting to make choices. And some choices that I know are going to be hard for them. And some choices that I really just, I have prayed against for years and tried to invest into like, you know what, Jesus is the way and sometimes they walk away from him entirely. And sometimes as a youth pastor, I feel like I failed. My, I failed. And sometimes I feel like, you know what, even though this is not my responsibility, even though I know it's not always my fault, I still feel the weight of what they're about to walk through without Jesus in their life. And it just hurts me and it breaks me. Personally, I was grappling with the outcome of some of my personal stuff in my life. Uh, you know, just, I, I can't get into all of it now. Uh, my wife had recently become a stay-at-home mom, and so we were readjusting to schedules and budgets and all this different stuff. Uh, there were some different repairs, insurance stuff coming on and I just felt like the weight of the world is on my shoulders and my, my mind just started to race. It started to just go crazy. And I felt like, you know what God, I know you can do this but will you do this? Because that's the biggest question as well. If we trust that God can do it, do we trust he also will do it? I remember laying in bed, my heart was just racing, my chest was, I felt like someone was taking a knee right on my chest. I just felt like I literally couldn't breathe, my mind was going crazy. And so I opened up to a verse that I've, in the Bible, that I've read a billion times, that it's given me peace before, but there's a translation in the Bible called The Message. And The Message is basically, they take the, the Bible and they, they make it very personal. Uh, it was a guy who tried to rewrite the Bible from his understanding of it to help be understood by his younger daughter. And so I want to read it for you this morning. As we get ready to wrap up, and Bob, if you want to come up and play guitar, that would be awesome. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse, starting in verse 30 in the message version, it says, If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know, you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And here's what just absolutely wrecked me. It says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. There are going to be things in your life that come up that you have no idea are coming. There are going to be things in your life that are probably even happening right now that you had no idea were coming. 
and you have all the emotion that the disciples felt. You felt that fear. You felt that sadness. You felt that anger and that fear. It's like, God, if you're so good, then why is this happening to me? God, if this is all how it's supposed to happen, this isn't good. This isn't pure. This isn't whatever. Where are you, God? What's up? There are going to be things in our life that come up. And instead of trying to figure out why they're happening, what if we just let go knowing that we're going to get through the other side? The disciples got to the other side of the lake perfectly fine. That was scary and that was terrifying, but God taught them something in the midst of that. And so wherever you're at in your storm today, I think that God's trying to teach you something right now. He may not have caused the storm. He might not have brought you through the storm on purpose, but the reality is you are in a storm. And if you're in the storm, God's trying to teach you something that he's there for you, that he's going to be there for you always. And that in this moment, in this season, if you could just learn to trust him with your life, just let go of that control and say, you know what, God? I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know how this is going to be possible. But you know what, God? I trust you. And if you will just please bring me through this, I will praise you through the storm. I will praise you on the other side of the storm. And when you get to that point, you realize that he was in control the entire time. And that's where you find your peace. The God that's fighting for you will always fight for you. And the God that went to bat for you here will go to bat for you here when you're on the the verge of losing your job. He's always working for us. He's always there for us. And so this morning, really practically, how do you let go of control? First of all, make a list. The thing that changed my life is when I wrote a line down the middle of the page. And I said, things I can control over here and things I can't control over here. And I'll give you a hint. There's one side that's a lot longer than the other. And it was liberating to go, you know what? Here's all the stuff I can control. And it's very few things, so I can do that. I can control my perspective. I can control my attitude. I can control my position. My position before the Lord. The second thing is find a way to let go. For some of us, letting go of control is really hard. It's not going to happen overnight, so find your way to let go. Maybe it's talking with a friend. Maybe it's getting alone to read your Bible and pray. Maybe it's writing down the stuff in a journal or a piece of paper saying, here's the things, God, I'm physically writing out that I need to let go to you. So as an act of faith, I'm writing this down. I'm writing down my car expense. I'm writing down my insurance bill. I'm writing down the the, the fear of losing my grandma or my spouse. I'm writing down all of this. You know what, God, I'm going to take this piece of paper in faith saying, God, please take care of me. Take care of this. And I'm putting it over here, no longer in my control. Sometimes faith is not as complicated as we need to be. Sometimes it's just doing things. And the last thing I would say to let go of control is to immerse yourself in truth. If there's one thing I've, I love this time of year, it's football. I watch football all day long on Sunday. I could tell you the number of the people on my fantasy team. I could tell you what number they are, who they play for, their stats here. I could, because I am immersed in it. And I realize that when I immerse myself in Jesus through the Bible, through worship music, through talking with pastors and mentors, I realize that I'm immersed in the truth that God is there for me. So this morning I want to leave you with this image. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, the very last, chap- the very last book of the Bible, almost the very end, the, the, the closing statement, if you will, it says, Behold, 
And this is Jesus talking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on the door of our lives. We don't have to chase him down. We don't have to do all the right things to get his attention. He is knocking at the lives of our the door of our lives, and all we have to do is let him in. We just have to let him in and say, you know what, God? I'm going through the thick of it right now, but I'm trusting you. You know what, God? I know there's going to be things in my life coming up, but I trust you with it. Because the Bible also says, if you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not leaning on your own understanding, he will make your way straight. So this morning, as we walk out of this place, back into our circumstances, let us walk into it with the perspective of it's not in our control. It's always been in his control. So if we could just let go, trust that he'll get us through it, he will. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every single person that's in this building, that's watching online, that's listening to this on our podcast. God, you know what we're going through. You know what we think it before we even think it. So you know the severity and the depth of what's going on in our lives, God, and you're not scared by it. You're not intimidated by it. You're not upset with it, God. You are simply knocking at the door of our lives, waiting to come into the situation. So God, today, wherever we're at in our faith, maybe we've been following you for years, maybe we don't even have a relationship with you at all. And so God, wherever we're at today, all we have to do, Jesus, to welcome you into our life is to simply say, you know what, God? I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm messed up. God, I, I, I made some mistakes, but God, I want you in my life. And the Bible says, God, that you walk into our life in that moment. So God, today I pray for the hardships. I pray for the tough moments. I pray for the good moments that are going to come out of it because God, there will be good moments. And today, God, the message is not that life stinks, God, but the message is that life can bring its worst and we can still trust in you. We can still have joy. We can still have happiness because God, you're going to take us through it. You're going to bring us to the other side and we're going to be sitting there smiling with a whole new perspective that nothing can take us down. Nothing can steer us away because God, God, you are fighting for us. You are there for us. And God, you love us. So God, today I pray that wherever we're at, God, may we know that we're loved. May we know that we're taken care of. And may we know, God, that you have a desire to show up and show off in our life. God, today in an act of faith, we're walking out these doors with our head held high because, God, we know that you are in control. And that your love, your strength, your provision will carry us through. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I want us to walk out head held high today. Let's do it. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.